This podcast is brought to you by Rototo. Experience intense space survival action in this mobile retro arcade game. A rotating shield is the only thing standing between the incoming alien horde and your inevitable destruction. How long can you last? Play now on iOS and Android. Hi, uh, you're listening to Tentative, a show about uh, digital uh, podcast design. No. No. Digital that's, podcast? No, that's I, I believe, based on our last conversation, that it's um, digital game design, right? Yeah, digital product design, I think. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, take, take two. Hi, you're listening to Tentative, a show about uh, digital product design. I am your uh, co-host, Reda Lemadin, and with me is the awesome... The awesome Kyle yeah. Fiedler. Oh, wow, I'm awesome? Yes, you are. You are. This is a good way to start off a Friday morning. So, how are you doing, Kyle? Uh, still waking up. <laughs> good, good. Well, <laughs> how have your week been? been pretty busy. I've been working on a project and we're starting to wrap things up which means i'm starting to test in ie um which is like my favorite thing to do right yes absolutely so uh that was that was a good time yeah did you see the news that ie will be uh discontinued or yeah yeah. i i i cried all night yep no more ie i mean i wish i could still install a 5.5 mac version on my on my machine but yeah well, so I, I, don't, I don't think it'll work. My week wasn't a lot, like a lot better than yours, actually. I did a lot of uh, email design, like exclusively email design. And you know how fun that is, right? <laughs> you're, you're building web pages the way they were meant to be made, right? With tables? Well, if it was just web pages, I'd be very glad. I'm doing like sort of like infographics in in like an email template. It's just crazy. But it actually turned out to look pretty well across different clients. So I'm happy with that. That's impressive. How do you do infographics in an email? So it's it's more like you have a lot of uh, like visual elements that you need to line up in a specific way to convey quantity. And I can't give a lot of specifics, but uh, I think that I ended up doing a lot of tricks with uh, rails and tables. So I would split lists and, and like make an odd list and an even list, or sorry, like a list of odd elements and even elements. And then I would put the odd ones in the right column and then even one in the left column so that it looks like a bar graph sort of thing. It's, it's a very hacky solution, but the outcome is looks good and i was happy with that it's actually the hackiest thing of the in a very long while but i don't think this is what we want to talk about today because it's gonna be a very 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 boring episode if we talk about ie and email design i thought those are people's favorite topics really i don't know maybe those are people from like five ten years ago i don't know i mean we're pushing the web forward right like doing ie7 testing and email design yeah yeah, we are in a way. Actually, <laughs> the funny thing, my favorite part of this process was making the text-based version of the email. I had so much fun, like, you know, underlining like uh, headings and things like that. It's a lot of fun. But let's not talk about this too much. Okay. No, I think the thing that I wanted to talk about was 
you recently switched from using Vim to Sublime Text. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to hear how that was going, and I guess we could also talk a bit about what I use, and then we could also talk a bit about the new product that you came out with. Yeah, text editors. This is going to be a good episode. I can I can feel that. A nerd off. Yeah. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> so I think I think at this point a lot of people are familiar with the fact that Thoughtbot is mostly Vim. Is this an established thing now? I think for our developers it is. I wouldn't say that the the designers are mostly Vim. I, oh, I actually I think that more designers are using Sublime than Vim. That's my gut feeling. That certainly changed since uh, last time uh, we were working from the same office. But that's inter interesting as well. Um, I think we had a lot less designers then. Yeah, that's, um, that's and, also true. And we were all working from the same office, so we were all kind of piggybacking off of the same kind of subjects. Yeah, so I used to use Sublime to before joining Thoughtbot and my usage like was very limited I mean I did not take advantage of uh, the text editor like really I was just using it as a better text edit or notepad and uh, when I joined Thoughtbot I was seeing a lot of people use Vim and dot files to store their VimRC and Vim plugins so I, I kind of like slowly started moving away from Sublime and using what everyone else was using because that allowed me to, you know, as you just said, piggyback on people's like configuration files and use them. And I think uh, you were the first person to help me get on board with Vim. At least you shared your VimRC with me very early on. And that was basically the first time I used um, Vim as my main text editor and I entirely dropped uh, Sublime. So fast forward 2014, beginning of 2015, and I I was at this event where one of the talks was about the current landscape of text e editors. And to be honest, I've been totally uh, like tuned uh, out of, of this talk. Like I used Vim, I was happy with it. And that was the end of the story. I, I did not consider switching away from Vim for the last three years since I joined ThoughtBot. And beside like, you know, trying them for 10 minutes and then installing them, which doesn't count. And one, so one of the talk was about like, you know, just like uh, showing the different uh, editors and their, their differences and where each one of the editors excels. And I saw uh, Atom, the uh, editor done by GitHub, I think. And I tried it and I did not like it because it felt slower than Vim, which is understandable because I think it's built on web technologies like JavaScript uh, runtime and uh, WebKit or whatever. It is. And the presenter made me actually want to try Sublime Text again. Uh, and of course, the presenter talked about Vim, Emacs, uh, a lot of other stuff. So it wasn't just like GUI text editors. It was also the all the other text editors out there, uh, most popular ones at least. So I did I did just that. And I think it was not just that talk. It was also a growing frustration with my Vim workflow. Like it wasn't like one thing that's clearly broken, but it was a lot of these small things like these little things, annoyances 
that kept adding up and while I can solve a lot of them I just didn't have the time or will to go ahead and and solve them sometimes I, I was like obliged or at least I didn't have the choice but to go ahead and create my own little syntax plugin for this thing or that thing like sometimes you don't find the syntax plugin you're looking for just because the 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 audience of Vim is not typically front-end developers so like if if there is a like a new template in engine chances are you won't find the syntax uh, plugin for that unless you go ahead and you build one and that was one of them there were others like um, some syntax plugins were not up-to-date like the SAS one and a few things like that and so I, I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll try Sublime 3 and see and see if I can live with it. And I think the first thing that really, really surprised me in Sublime was the speed. It's very, very responsive. Like all the actions you do, searching, navigating in the sidebar, uh, opening, closing projects, all of that was really fast. So that was like one thing that I was not expecting from a GUI editor. And obviously, I now I, I I can't use any text editor that doesn't have a Vim mode, because this once you get used to Vim, Vim bindings, it's it's a thing that's way beyond the editor itself. It becomes your muscle memory. So, and luckily, uh, Sublime comes with uh, Vim a Vim mode by default. It's called I don't remember Vi I guess, and you can turn that on and you can use it pretty much like. Well, it doesn't have all the features, of course, but it has all the basic stuff that I got used to in in Vim. How long did you give Sublime? Like, did you start out and be like, I'm going to use Sublime for a certain amount of time before I give up on it? Yeah, yeah, so totally. So I upgraded to Yosemite and I didn't have anything on that new. I didn't upgrade, actually. It was a clean install and I had I didn't have my Vim set up nor Mac Vim and so I just went ahead and downloaded Sublime and started using it uh, to get stuff done for clients or internal projects, which kind of like, I was like, okay, I'll try this for a couple of weeks until I get my Vim set up and then I'll probably go back to Vim. But the more I used it, the more it felt like it just it just works. I It, it has all the syntax options I want. Uh, Vim bindings are there by default, basic, basic ones at least. Uh, good plugin support. Uh, and I didn't use any plugins for the first couple of months, actually. I used it out of the box, and it had a pretty good experience. So I think it's it's a good, it hits a good balance b- between customizability and feature completeness or whatever. So like you can use it immediately after downloading it and feel productive. Whereas Vim, if you don't use your VimRC, I'm not sure how productive you're going to be in the first hours of using a barebone uh, Vim setup. So what do you what do you use, Kyle? I don't know if I want to go into the history as much as you did, but like for the very longest time I was a TextMate user and I saw how stale it was getting and I was honestly looking for a new text editor to to start writing code in and you know Throughout my entire time at ThoughtBot, all the developers have used Vim. Uh, I've been able to see how fast they are in Vim. And I think that's been like the biggest selling point for me is like how incredibly fast they were compared to me and TextMate. Just because of the key bindings that you you had mentioned earlier, 
the VI key bindings. Um, once you learn those, you can't not use them. So I switched to MacVim, and I've been using MacVim for a very long time now. And I actually used Yosemite as another jumping point, similar to what you did, actually, except I went the other direction. I now use the terminal vim, uh, and I use Thought, Thoughtbot has uh, within their dot files some nice handy uh, tmux shortcuts, and so I use those to run the server. And then in the same window, um, I'll write code. So for me, it was I didn't want to install any uh, text editors at all. Uh, I wanted to see how long I could go with uh, terminal vim. So I went yeah. the other direction. But the reason I'm asking is because I have, I think I know a lot of the things that you're talking about of the like minor things within Vim that like sometimes every once in a while they'll get on my nerves. Uh, things like syntax, like one thing in CSS will be not syntax highlighted right. And I can't figure out why. Every once in a while, autocomplete won't work as well as I would have hoped because I'm relying on a third party. But in general, I don't think, like I tried uh, last week going back to MacVim and I don't think I can do it. Uh, I like being able to have everything in one window and not have to switch applications. It, that for me has been a big boost in productivity. Um, just be able to like, I code and run the server in one application and then I look at the, the website or web app or whatever I'm building in the other application and not have this intermediary uh, text editor in between. Yeah. But one of the bigger things too for me is the colors in Vim. Since it's all a bunch of developers, all of the colors are quite terrible or a lot of them are. Yeah. Um, and I'm generally a person that likes a light uh, color scheme. And the only good one that I've found uh, is for, for uh, HTML and CSS is Solarized. So I've been using that for a very long time. And every once yeah. in a while, I like to change my, my color scheme. Yeah. So uh, I don't really have that ability with, with Vim because every other one that I've tried has been like either really terrible or uh, like it doesn't really do a great job of syntax highlighting HTML and CSS. And I think that goes back to a lot of the people who are front-end developers aren't using Vim. They're using Sublime Text or uh, Atom. Yeah. I think I think one of the reasons that made me not use Vim for front end development, and I think I should make this uh, this clear. I still use Vim, and I still use Vim on the terminal, just like you described, but not to edit CSS, JavaScript, HTML, or Ruby files. I use it to edit like config files, RC files, doing quick, you know, like quick edits without having to open the entire project. But I no longer use it as my project. Uh, editor if, if you see what i mean so that just i just wanted to make that uh clear and the reason that made me not use vim and you just like you just you just said that basically is that the community of front-end developers using it is a lot smaller which means that these small annoyances don't get fixed because the this the small amount of people who are there are not enough to make enough like to, enough contribution or enough noise to fix these things. Whereas I, I imagine if if something if something is broken in in Sublime in a Sublime plugin, 
I can guarantee that someone will immediately fork that plugin and fix it because there's so many people doing the same thing using the same tool that things are fixed a lot faster. And this doesn't only apply to text editors. It applies to a lot of tools we use. A lot of tools I use are not because they're the best, but because the community around them is the most active. So whatever concerns I have, I know there are hundreds of people who have the same concerns and they will likely solve them. Whereas when you use something where you're the only one or one of the few people using it, then you're on your own, basically. If you don't like something, you should go ahead and fix it. And I only the day is only 24 hours. I can't be fixing all the things, especially since everything is broken. So, yeah. So I had another question. Do you think that you might switch to a text editor that's better for front-end developers? Because one thing about front-end development is that it, we have different needs than people writing server-side uh, code. And recently there were a lot of new editors like uh, Atom or uh, Brackets by Adobe who kind of like address these needs. Things like being able to preview colors inline, a color picker, even I've seen that on, on Atom, I think. A lot of these tools that uh, presumably make some of the front-end development easier. Do you see, like, do you see yourself using these? And if not, like, why not? So I, I don't. This also might be a question, like, I don't see myself switching. So the biggest reason for me is, like, I got burned by TextMate, or I feel like I got burned by TextMate because I used that for so long and got so used to the keyboard shortcuts and, like, a lot of... It's like going from Photoshop to something different, like not even Sketch, because Sketch has somewhat similar um, shortcuts. But like going from Photoshop to something totally different where the shortcuts for like looking up uh, a quick search, you know, is different in each one of those applications. And for me to, to like switch to those, there's this learning curve. And then my gut is always going to be like, okay, they're working on this now, but when are they going to shut this down? Or when are they going to stop working on it? When are they going to like not improve it? And I know Vim is always going to be there. It's always going to be the same. It's, it predates the internet. <laughs> it predates yeah. like, and some of the other issues that people might have, like it is, it is a lot more complicated. Uh, you have to do your own setup, but I feel like I have a good setup now and it works for me. And the amount of energy it would take to contact switch or not contact switch, switch from Vim to another editor uh, wouldn't be worth my time. I don't think I'd get the same productivity I would out of one of those where I, as I do in Vim. It's, it's weird because whenever like <laughs> as front end developers or like designers in general, like whenever you tell other designers that you use Vim, you get a weird looks. No, I don't tell very many people that I'm a Vim user. Uh, I'm not the typical. I'm not the typical rub it in your face Vim person. Oh, I, I don't see know. I, th I feel like Vim users might have that connotation of like, you know, I'm a neckbeard. Uh, yeah. I, I use this application, and you're not good enough until you do. Um, no, I, I think especially Sublime, it seems like it is fully qualified for front end. I mean, clearly it has so much community back behind it. Uh, but uh, for me. I don't want to rely on 
uh, like I am relying on third party, but all of it's open source, you know, um, all the Vim plugins, all of, uh, the color schemes are all open source. Whereas sublime, I know a lot of the packages are, but the, the source code for sublime is not. And therefore if, if whoever decides to stop working on it, right. Yeah. Or am I wrong? Is sublime uh, sublime two, sublime two is open source. Sublime three is not. And this developer has typically open sourced whatever version he's no longer intending and supporting. So, and again, Sublime is a pad is pad software. So uh, I don't expect uh, version three to be open sourced anytime soon. I guess. But yeah, I I get your concern. It's a valid concern, and I think at this point, my so my answer to this concern is basically this: you can give me anything that has vi key bindings and i can use it give me a fridge you know a fridge with key bindings <laughs> i can code on that i'm totally fine i can also grab drinks without moving too much but uh, <laughs> i think you <laughs> you you've hit the nail on the head of what i need yeah exactly so i don't care if it's sublime or not sublime honestly i can use anything with v vi key bindings and i tried to limit my uh, reliance on uh, plugins. So before switching to Sublime, I cut down all my Vim plugins, almost all of them, except ver some very like uh, like ones that are I can I can remove them, but they make my life a little bit easier, like matching brackets and things like that. But a lot of other stuff besides syntax plugins, I just removed it. All the navigation things, uh, I think it it just I I don't want to rely too much on a specific plugin that's not compatible with some new version of Vim or something. And and the reason is that I've been doing a lot of Xcode as well. And there is a there is a VI or Vim plugin called XVim for Xcode. And I use that as well. So you can say that my day well depends on what I do during a certain day, but it's divided between Sublime, Xcode and Terminal Vim. And I I want to make these feel as close as possible to each other. And the common denominator between all of these is VI key bindings and the same shortcuts. So I set my shortcuts to be the same across all of these. Uh, so like control P with start searching files or whatever. Uh, and I've got, I've got that in Xcode, in Sublime and in Terminal, the same behavior. The UI is a little bit different, but my, my muscles are going to move the same way. So I, I think this is my goal. And this answers your concern about if Sublime dies, that's fine. I can move to the next thing. And have you heard of NeoVim, which is a new, so it's a fork of Vim, but built with a more like modern GUI editor uh, uh, needs in, in mind. I don't know, this sentence is weird, but it's built to be able to integrate better with GUIs. And I'm really looking forward to that because one of my biggest gripes with Vim, if you're not using the terminal version, if you're using MacVim, is that I don't like MacVim. Uh, honestly, like it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's a nice wrapper around Vim, but it's not doing a lot more than terminal that justifies having that ugly icon in the dock. And I, op I, op I opened the pull request to fix that, but I think that pull request, it got a lot of support, but it's still not merged. And I was like fed up. I think that's the point where I was like, well, first I know that I'm not installing Mac Vim in, in, in Yosemite. I am not, I'll use terminal Vim. And then that's how like, I kind of like switched to. Uh, Terminal Vim and Sublime, but yeah, I, I totally get your concern. And actually, I have a really good segue to our next topic. 
uh, I got uh, one person asking for a Sublime Text plugin for an app that we released recently. It's like a SaaS playground. And that, that's actually, that confirms my like observation that most of, well, it's not a real observation. I think it's pretty clear that most of front-end developers are using Sublime these days. I did not get anyone using Vim asking for a Vim plugin. Yeah, I don't want your plugin. You don't want it? No, I don't want your plugin. Well, <laughs> that's fine, I guess. I won't feel offended. Do you still write SAS? Yes. I still write SAS. So, Is that really a question? I don't know. Some people have been trying to write less SAS these days, or more like more like CSS flavored SAS. It's like they're trying to go back to the roots. There's this movement not using SAS. Are, are people not using SAS or no, trying no. to incorporate CSS techniques into SAS? They're, they're trying to write CSS. Uh, but but using set, the SCSS syntax, so it's pretty much like what I described for Vim. They they don't want to rely on the SAS syntax. It's a small like group of people, but I they're nonetheless vocal. So, but that doesn't matter because I still write SAS. And recently we launched an app that allows you to see the uh, the CSS output of your SAS code. Yeah, so my question for you is how did the, like, this was something that you drove, right? The yes, product's called yes. Sasquatch. Have we even, have you even said the name yet? No, I haven't said the name. No, I haven't. Uh, I did a so, pretty poor job in introducing this, but it's fine. Yeah, you did. So what, what was the need that you had that drove this forward? Like, what were you doing that you were, like, continually <laughs> up against the wall with not being able to see your outputted CSS? Yeah, I think I think uh, this problem I have it with all like um, intermediate layers like CoffeeScript or or or, or SAS or in fact anything we rewrite is actually an intermediate layer. But things that we write and we don't and so, like the software won't be using what we write; it will be using whatever is compiled from what we write. And the the reason why I have this problem is that these are more like a black box. So you write SAS and you don't know exactly how it translates. Like sometimes, of course, not always, but sometimes you're curious to check if your for loop is, is working the way you intend it to work or if your extents are doing the proper thing. So typically you would write stuff and go to the browser and inspect the element in question or search for the keyword and then try to either click that, uh, like, you know, look at the CSS inside the browser and try to find that block. And I think the reason why I find this not a very good solution is that sometimes I don't have an entire like page where I, I don't even have a web server. So someone would open an issue on Neat or sometimes Bourbon. And my first reflex is I want to check the SAS code, see if it works. And in that case, we have, well, the, the, the normal like way you would do it is you would either open some online tool that does this, like SAS Meister, or I don't know. CodePen does not show you the output, but you can still, I think, inspect it. And you would go there and try to, but it, it feels clunky and uh, sometimes it, it doesn't work or it's slow. So my goal was to make a very easy like solution where you can give it any SAS code, it would show you the CSS. It just would remove the cover on that black box. And why SAS is because we maintain a lot of uh, open source SAS libraries. 
and debugging is part of our you know routines as uh, open source maintainers uh not all of us but the ones who of us who are involved uh tend to have a lot of spend a lot of time trying to s debug things and seeing like if issues are related to our library or related to SAS or related to the setup environment. Like a lot of the issues are not very clear as to what is the source of the problem. So yes, that was basically my main uh, use case. I'm writing SAS and SAS versions have been changing a lot. New features are introduced. Things are not work. Some things are removed or changed. So it's hard to keep up with that stuff if, if you're not constantly you know, like following it. And that was like a way for me to quickly throw some, throw a piece of code without any, like, without requiring a web server, without requiring a web page, without requiring any of that. And just immediately seeing how that translates to uh, CSS. What do you hope are the other uses for it? So you gave, I mean, there's only a certain amount of SAS open source library maintainers out there, right? Right, right, um, right. Is this a tool in the future for debugging? Like, what else do you use it for? So one of the unintended use cases that we had while we were developing this is uh, we did a SAS workshop. Or, yeah, well, it's a CSS SAS workshop. And we used it actually as a playground. So while we're explaining SAS, we would write stuff and the... Uh, the people in the participating in the workshop were able to immediately see the result. And we could have done that in any of the other tools, but uh, the internet was very spotty in that place where we were doing the workshop. And I honestly don't like relying on connectivity when I'm doing something that can be done on my machine, like that can be done locally. Like I don't need to, to talk to a server thousands of miles, miles away to get back a piece of CSS. I can totally put that binary locally and try it. And uh, in the past, I tried using the console, like this, there's an interactive console for SAS, but it's kind of uh, like, it's clunky because you know, you do one line at a time. And if you want to do multiple lines, you have to do these escape characters and all of that. It doesn't feel very good. And I don't like editing the terminal. So the good thing about Sasquatch, or actually one of the main things that I tried to focus on is I tried to, to allow whoever is using it to keep using their normal workflow, i.e. they can use their own editor. There is no built-in editor, at least not, not as of this version. So it's not a full-fledged playground where you can edit. It's just a previewer in a way. So you can edit in your, in your text editor and whenever you save, the output is, um, you know, is, is reloaded. And we used it. So one, one really like clear use case is education. If you're teaching SAS, you want to have this because uh, it will make your life easier and uh, it will also make the life of those learning SAS easier because they can just go ahead and, and try it. And I, I actually was uh, inspired partially by Apple's uh, playgrounds on Xcode when they introduced Swift. I found them to be actually very effective to learn some like the language. And while we might not go all uh, like we might not go all the way and create an, a full editor in there. At least I wanted to have the uh, the instant feedback and also reload uh, whenever you save to have it in the MVP. Cool. I feel like that is pretty big for me. Um, I've used some of the online tools and going back to our editor preferences, like there are some things that can't be duplicated while I'm writing SAS. 
And it's kind of a wonky experience to like copy and paste SAS from my editor into one of those tools. And then it's just as wonky to like paste it in, get something wrong. I'll make a few changes in their tool and then go back, like copy and paste it back into the document I was working in. So like, I feel like having a view when, when you are debugging, or when you are um, learning, it is is a great tool to like immediately yeah. see the CSS output. Yeah, it's definitely not a tool that you would use every single day, but it's one of those tools when you need it, you find it. And it does, a, at least as far as I'm concerned, it does a good job at answering the, those, like your needs at that specific moment. Like it, I might spend the entire week not using it because I'm working on a client project with very basic styles. But the day I will decide to fix uh, some issue in one of our open source libraries or just explore some new SaaS feature that I haven't had time to play with, I probably would very much like having it there. And I use it every once in a while, you know, like for quick things, like what if I put this ampersand here, what would happen sort of thing. And I get an error and I know I can't do that sort of thing. Well, where can they find Sasquatch? Uh, so currently it's on uh, sasquatch.thoughtbot.com and Sasquatch is like Sasquatch, like the Yeti, but with double S. So it's like uh, the name of Sas. It's a, it's a pun or whatever. We'll have a link in the show notes. Yeah, I think we, we should link to the show notes. And yeah, actually we should also put a, a discount code in the show notes. We can put a discount for our listeners because we love them. Okay, sounds good. Did, did I convince you to go back to, to Vim in the terminal? No, no way. No. No, I don't think I will. I was kind of hoping that at the end of this, you would have convinced me to go back to Sublime. Nah, but I didn't, I didn't try too hard, honestly, because I think these are tools. And if you're happy with Vim, that's fine. That's perfect. I no longer feel like I want to force my workflows on people. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing for me to gain in there. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I mean, people might ask me why I use a thing, this thing or not that thing, and I, I would explain why, but people have different needs, different uh, affinities, so it's not, it's not my job to try to convince people to use whatever I use. Okay, so I think we're at a good point to wrap it up. Uh, so people can find the show notes at tentative.fm slash three. If you have any questions or anything else, you can email us at hosts at tentative.com. Dot .fm. Oh, .fm. You can also follow us on Twitter uh, at tentativefm. It's one word. Uh, yeah, thank you for listening and have a good weekend. Bye.